from my queer perspective, as my perspective as a queer person, I also find the song very sad because it says Kashka from Baghdad lives in sin, they say, with another man, but no one knows who. Old mm-hmm. friends never call there, but some wonder if life's inside at all. So they're only able to, the only time, so at night they're seen laughing, loving. They know the way to be happy. They never go for walks. Maybe it's because the moon's not bright enough. There's light so they're only able, yeah, there's only, so they're only able to find happiness at night away from the prying eyes and shrouding themselves in secrecy. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be talking about the eighth track on Kate Bush's second album, Lionheart, Kashka from Baghdad. here this week to discuss this song is go ahead and introduce yourself sure i'm zoe parishman uh i have i'm a social worker slash therapist also but more importantly a diehard kate fanatic indeed Um, to embarrassing extremes let's just say professional kate bush impersonation has been a thing that has happened in my life let's just leave it at that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Lionheart is really important to me. Um, I'm a, I identify as a queer woman and Lionheart and as a femme too. Um, and Lionheart is an album that is so hyper feminine that her voice in it, her early work in particular, but especially in Lionheart, is such an assault on every like masculine norm and every norm of just what it means to sing. It really resonates deeply with me and the way that her identity is so fluid throughout the album relates a lot to like, I'm really, I have a background in literary theory and feminist theory and queer theory. And there's a lot of talk about the fluidity of identity mm-hmm. and the way she does uses that on this album is extreme and all her, all her music, but this album, it's so theatrical. It's so camp. It's so, it's, oh, it's, just, yeah. so queer. it's just so queer. And here's oh, a yeah. song where it gets very literal but I also am coming from a critical race theory perspective, and um, I I consider myself an intersectional feminist. So I try to think about how all facets of someone's identity impacts the way they act in the world and the way they see the world. And while I think there's some really cool progressive stuff about um, Kate Bush's depiction of a gay couple in this song, I also want to talk a lot about um, Orientalism Mm -hmm. and how her whiteness plays a role in the way that she creates these people as other. Indeed. That's me. (laughs) And so, yeah, let's see. And we're going to have a lot to talk about. This This is one of my favorites from Lionheart. Me too. And, and it gets really slept on. It, it really does. And I mean, I will say I'm not as into the chorus. I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about like lyrics yeah. and musical structure in a little bit. But I like everything else about the song. I like the exotic flavor. I think it's interesting that this was one of her Kathy demos. So this yeah. was something she wrote when she was in her early to mid teens. And there's some stuff we can go again to about the lyrics in the demos mm. that make it even even gayer. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so this we're is not even of... gayer. It's more like there's this. It's poly, there's a term we use in queer theory a lot, like polymorphous perversity. Um, mm-hmm. That applies a lot to this song because <laughs> so this... this song is about voyeurism and oh, it's yeah. about wanting to join in. Yeah, it's 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 a very it is a very interesting song, y'all. It's, I mean, on the one hand, like, I look at, I looked at it like, oh, yeah, this is, 
like a gay couple who just they keep to themselves but everybody's always kind of wondering like oh what are they doing there now the setting though i find particularly interesting because the setting for this is iraq right and I'm not sure if maybe she was aware of this at the time. At least as of now, um, most of Iraq in most of Iraq, it is illegal to be homosexual. I wonder. If she, I yeah. I wonder if she knew that, and I wonder yeah. if that was intentional. But also in terms of the setting, I mean, literally, the song is literally called Casca from Baghdad. So yeah. he's not. So in the, within the con, when you listen to the song, he's a sexual other. But mm-hmm. even just in the titling of the song, he's racialized as other. Um, he's not just Kashka, he's dude. It's Kashka from Baghdad. So in this way, she's bringing up and feminizing, to quote Deborah Withers in her great book on Kate Bush, um, Adventures in Kate Bush in Theory, she's feminizing the Orient in a way that is mm-hmm. frankly very othering and colonialist. And especially considering that the title of this album is Lionheart, which mm-hmm. is a very British symbol. Um, Richard the Lionheart. Um, and she has a song of album called Oh England My Lionheart, which is all about nostalgia for old England and England is home. The fact that she sets this in Baghdad is very telling of the ways in which she kind of and the colonial mindset needs to displace things that are like that are very bizarre onto this feminized Orient and the the you know, the East. Like she grew up thinking that when Kate Bush grew up, she grew up in a time in the late sixties with the Beatles magical mystery tour, and everyone was like wearing bindis and like India is everything, and well, Iraq is in India. But you know, this idea of like the East, the other, being so mysterious and cool and interesting, and we see even in 2014, mm-hmm. I, Kate, I'm calling you. I love you, but I'm calling you out. You wore <laughs> Kate, you wore a bindi in her 2014 beyond um, before the dawn shows. So like that to me indicates just the power of that imagery she grew up with. Like my mother is around Kate Bush's age, and um, like also like we always have Buddhas around the house and like there's very amongst people of that generation there is this tendency to really fetishize the east and I think that that her setting this very gay story and very sexual story in a land that is quote-unquote other is a very colonialist impulse Mm -hmm. and very fascinating but I love this song (laughs) and even the way and also the way um, you mentioned, like, the exotic flair. Um, Patty mm-hmm. Bush, who's her brother, uses something called an instrumento de porto, which is a special instrument, in his words, to give the song the Islamic flavor. So that further exoticizes the character and his sexuality and his race, because his story isn't just about something different, but it has to audibly signify the, quote, you know, the mysterious E through the way it's actually musical like put into music it was a combination of strong personality and discipline that kept Kate Bush in control of eight accomplished musicians some of them playing professionally while she was still at school and she had the help of her two brothers one of them Paddy had even found special instruments for the tour what do you call it it's called a a stramento de porco that's its, its real name or at least the name that uh, Pretorius gave it. He was a writer on musical instruments in the 17th century. What, what do you use it for? Um, we concert? use it. Well, we use it for uh, a number with a Islamic flavour to it called Kashka from Baghdad, and uh, it sounds like a, a santur, which is traditional Arabian instrument played with hammers. Just like yeah, and, and actually, he talks about uh, her brother Patty talks about playing the strumento de porco in um, one of, there's a documentary that was uh, done, I think it was, oh, it was for Nationwide. It was for the Nationwide. Best documentary. You yeah. all must watch it immediately. Exactly. Like, look it up, guys. Kate Bush, Nationwide. You'll see what I mean. And he talks oh, about best. using the strumento de porco in Kashka from Baghdad to, quote unquote, give it a little Eastern flavor. And it's really neat to, like, Look at it because it looks kind of like it looks like a some form of zither, but with like yeah. mallets or something you play. So it looks really really cool. 
Yeah, it just like yeah, but it's just such like a. I mean, I'm white and I want to address that. I mean, but like it's just <laughs> a white person thing to be like, yes, I'm going to use this to give it an Islamic Eastern flavor. And the Deborah Withers in her book, she writes, Kashka is from Baghdad. This implies that these characteristics are enough for a white Western audience to already form expectations about his character. Orientalism is used to invoke scandalous, sexually deviant behavior. So Patty's use of this, of this, you know, sex, to this like orientalist type of instrumentation, and then Kate's placing of homosexuality in this context is very othering. And she's using these orientalist tropes as a space to talk about sex and sexuality. Because mm-hmm. like homosexual, and also with murder. I mean, it's different. Murder. Her murder song um, on this album, "Copy Home Ground," that is set in Germany. But it's like these homosexuality and murder must be displaced into foreign countries to be discussed. Yeah, it's really interesting because this album, especially with "Oh England, My Lionheart" being kind of the central, like the song that comes in the middle, the central song, is so much about Britishness. And mm-hmm. yeah. So as far as like lyrics, like, or kind of personal thoughts, really, like, I this is one of my favorites from the album. I like that it's one of her many story songs. And I kind of see like that she she's just like somebody on the outside looking in and speculating about what they do behind closed doors, like. Oh, hey, they're kind of different from everybody else. What's it like for them? And yeah, this yeah. Whether this is whether this is her speaking as a man or maybe as a woman wanting to join them, we don't really know. She doesn't make it clear. Yeah, this song is really fascinating because, like, on the surface, it's about a gay couple who likes to keep to themselves, mm-hmm. but people are wondering about what goes on behind closed doors. But it is also about the narrator yeah. and the narrator who is genderless, which I find very interesting because she was asked, um, why didn't you just put yourself as like the male character in the song? At one point she said like, Oh, it would have made people wouldn't have noticed that I was playing the male. So she could have been Kashka, but she decided to play an outside spectator. And so in the lyrics of the song, um, she is a voyeuristic narrator who can't stop what she's just really wondering about them. Like what is going on with them? And to the point of wanting to join them at the end, she says, I watch their shadows. She's looking through mm-hmm. the window and she says, I watch their shadows. I long to be with them in the demo version for the song. Um, she, after I long to be with them, what she says is, what would I do if I was seen? What would they do if I knew my feelings? and his lover are even clearer as well as the narrator's sense of fear and shame around these feelings and that's why i think it's so interesting that she displaces mm. this onto like an eastern setting um like that these feelings wanting to essentially have a threesome with these two guys um <laughs> like it's i mean it's not like laughing over it but i mean the lyrics say you know i watch their shadows tall and slim in the window opposite i long to be with them because when all the alley cats come out, you can hear music from Kasha's house. I mean, hmm. you can argue that music might be a euphemism for something else. I watch the shadows tall and slim in the window opposite. I long to be with them. Because when all the alley cats come out, I can hear music from 
could. And also what's another interesting thing is that even as the narrative voice, she's multiple. There's she says, I walk their shadows, I long do with them. But in the beginning of the song, she says, But we know the lady who rents the room. She's talking about how no one no like Cash is so mysterious. We live with another man, but no one knows who. Old friends never call there. Some wonder if life's inside at all. But we know the lady who rents the room. Hmm. So is she talking from the point of view of a person? Or is she talking from the point of view of the entire, of all his neighbors? I'm thinking it's all the neighbors. about the poly like the per, the polymorphous diversity of her wanting to basically join them if she is singing from the point of view of the neighborhood what does that mean it's it's just very i, I find this song and the term the narration very complex because of that i also i kind of in, interpret this um or at least the, the the way i used like the first time i heard the song I heard it as like when she says, oh, let me in your love and everything that she's she's going, hmm, well, they seem like they're these people seem like they're really, really happy. And Mm -hmm. maybe I'm not very happy myself in my life, but maybe they know all about the secret to life and being happy Mm -hmm. and let me in your love. Like, let me please show me what it is that you how you feel so that I can feel happy, too. And she's look, and it's so interesting and progressive that she's looking to these this gay couple and saying they know the way to be happy. How how do I get that? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's interesting because I feel like there's you know a quote a review that says Catherine Baghdad is about a happy homosexual couple who overcome crying eyes and vicious tongues by keeping themselves themselves and enjoying it. So there's that view of the song, but as I guess. From my queer perspective, as my perspective as a queer person, I also find the song very sad because it says Kashka from Baghdad lives in sin, they say, with another man, but no one knows who. Old mm-hmm. friends never call there, but some wonder if life's inside at all. So they're only able to, the only time, so at night they're seen laughing, loving. They know the way to be happy. They never go for walks. Maybe it's because the moon's not bright enough. enough. There's light so they're only able. Yeah, there's only so they're only able to find happiness at night away from the prying eyes and shrouding themselves in secrecy. It's this private happiness, and they get that happiness, but it's at the high cost of being ostracized from the old friends who never call mm. them. So that to me is very it's very sad. And then yeah. becomes feeling evocative when we get to the narrator's position of confused of confused desire towards the couple. Because if the narrator is the neighborhood, the narrator is kind of contributing to the ostracizing them, but also wants to join them. And I agree with you that definitely the let me in your love, it's the narrator saying they know the way to be happy and that's something I'm lacking and I want to join in that. And can also be like, I'm, she's also, well, she or he is also watching them through the window and, you know, wants to have threesome. And I think those are both interpretations <laughs> yeah i mean she's written a comp basically what we're kind of the, the consensus i'm getting here when i was talking about this is that she's written a very complex song and very, yet it yeah. looks simple on the surface but there are yeah. so many ways that you could you could interpret this yeah if you google the lyrics to kashmir and baghdad there's not a lot of lyrics they're very oh, short no. but it, just it in terms of like her yeah her narrative like the way she switches point of view from um, we to I, it's so fascinating. It really is. Like just for me as someone 
who was who can who is a, has a background in literary criticism mm-hmm. I really enjoy analyzing that part of her work well and say I'm in a I'm in a local songwriting group and I know that if probably if they were to look at these lyrics they would go well but you should really make sure that you're you're telling it from one point of view because you're right. searching for multiple ones and I'm going but that's part of what I like about this song I like that she's offering up it's it's a like a self-contained story like we were talking about with um about the other songs on this album like they're their own little worlds that mm-hmm. she's created yeah absolutely it, it really is and and yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so interesting because she's blatantly addressing, I mean, the first line saying he lives with another man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, she's talking about a gay couple. Yeah, he lives in sin, they say, with another man. Like, and so, like, no wonder she has a huge gay fan base, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, but it's interesting. I, yeah, you, you have a quote about where she got the inspiration from. This oh, Yeah. So this is something from, uh, it was a BBC one, Radio 1 show called Personal Call, which I've, which I've cited before in some of her, um, some of the Kick Inside episodes. She says, that actually came from a very strange American detective series that I caught a couple of years ago. And there was a musical theme that they kept putting in. And they had an old house in this particular thing. And it was just a very moody, pretty awful, serious thing. And it just inspired the idea of this old house somewhere in Canada or America with two people in it that no one knew anything about. And being sort of a small town, everyone wanted to know what everybody else was up to. And these particular people in this house had a very private thing happening. I would love to know what, what serious that things? was. Like, and what private things happening? Yeah, like what private... Hmm? <laughs> also, she's like, I, I got the idea of this house somewhere in Canada or America, but then the song became Kasha from yeah. Baghdad. You're and like, I can't speak to her growing up in this time when mm-hmm. the quote-unquote the East was so exoticized. Yeah. It makes me think of a class that Andrew took when he was in college that was all about colonialism. Because he was an mm-hmm. English major, and so he took a bunch of classes about different kinds of literature. And they did a whole class on colonialism and the East and how that affected Western works and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting also to think about the way she sings the song. I mean, she's singing Cash from Baghdad, lives in Sydney, they say, with another man. That's pretty much, that's just telling you up front, this, they're gay, hi, who cares? It's not, you know, yeah. it, was, it was only just made legal to even be gay in England, but I'm singing about it anyway. Mm-hmm. And yet, her voice is so angelic. Um, so it's interesting, this co- and this is interesting, comes up on her, the kick inside as well. She'll sing a song like Feel It, which is, Deeply sexual. Deeply Ooh, yeah. She's literally singing. She's literally singing about someone going in her, and like, it's it's very graphic. And but she, I think, because her voice is so otherworldly, she like gets away with singing about these taboo topics. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like because she like almost doesn't seem of this world. It's like she gets away with this very earthy carnality. Um, if that makes sense. Oh, no, that totally makes sense. Yep. And, and yet I love what she does with her voice. Um, I know you said you have issues with the chorus. By the chorus, do you mean at night they're seen laughing, loving? Yeah, I love the lyrics, but the way that... And it's probably because like, like her major chord changes. Like She starts the song in D minor, which is kind mm-hmm. of a moody key to begin with. And then when it goes to at night, they're seen laughing and loving, it suddenly switches to a completely unrelated key, which is A major. And And A major has (laughs) nothing. Like A major has three sharps in it. D D minor has one flat in it. And like those two chords you don't usually have against each other unless you want to create some sort of tension. And I've talked about that like a lot in her songs that she uses unusual chord progressions. And that's part of what I like about her. Is that she's not writing right. just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to sit down and write my four chord song. You know, like, she don't do that. Yeah, I mean, that. like, I love, I love when it's just an, it's an assault on your ears. She goes, and I can't do it mm-hmm. myself. I, anyone listening to this, I hope you have listened to the song or will listen to the song. But she goes basically at, at night, 
great. And it's like, whoa, mm-hmm. where did that come from? And like laughing, like I, I can't do it. Obviously, I'm I'm sorry, Kate Bush. Like I, I apologize. <laughs> um, but it's all good. I can't do it either. But like, but it's so shrieky. And I say that with love. Know. People say that about her in a very terrible way. People say, you know, she sounds like a bag of your Adam Jones and Cat. She absolutely does, and I love it. Um, that is like on this chorus, she, her voice is as shrill as it gets, and. That is what people, especially straight men, hate about her early work. And that is what I love about it, is that mm-hmm. she's just like, you know what? I'm going to change the chords in a completely random way and completely assault your ears with something you did not see coming or hear mm-hmm. coming. Like, if you're hearing the song for the first time, you'll be listening all from the chorus at the all right at night, and you'll be like, wait, I need to turn the volume down. That just got, like, really loud. Mm-hmm. And she does that a lot in a lot of her songs. There, uh, there will be a high note out of nowhere. Where I'm like, wait, I have to just volume or something. Off my, I don't want to hurt my ears. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think it's so interesting how she just sings this so tenderly. Um, and where's the, how happy she was to be, I can't sing it. So hope you can just play the clip where she says to mm. be happy. But the way she says the word happy, she goes really deep and yeah, she goes really deep into it. And it's beautiful. her voice is her is is more than just her singing it's it's Mm -hmm. part of the soundscape it's like it's her voice is always an instrument it's not just the featured thing it's part of what create what makes the song the song it's like like the bass it's like the instrument to the porto in this case it's whatever i mean it's not it's highlighted but it is she's always using her voice to experiment and and really bring out the emotion of a song and if mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense in terms of music theory, fuck music theory is yeah. as far as she's concerned. Well, and with the way I think of music theory, okay, I, it's nice to have guidelines, but don't hold yourself to them. Like, play around with them. Like, mm-hmm. And that's part of what I like about Kate's music is that she plays around with putting chords and things next to each other that you wouldn't normally expect yeah and and on Lionheart this album I think more than any of her other albums like thinking about a lot of songs in this album she just there are so many moments where you're completely floored as a listener because you're like well that note came out of nowhere Mm -hmm. Um, my favorite note of hers of all time is on the instant kiss on her next album never forever there's where she says at one point no control but the way she says no is like 15 syllables long um (laughs) and like she just really plays with words and her voice in a way that is extremely jarring and discordant um and not necessarily easy to digest but it's what makes me love her so much as I like the like the moodiness of the D minor, like I I like D, I love D minor. I just like minor chords. I really do, mm-hmm. and I feel like this this fits the contemplative vibe of the song because D minors mm-hmm. it is just a contemplative key. Like you, you hear it and you're just you're kind of thinking, oh, well, that's kind of pensive, as it is with most minor chords actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like we've talked about, like that obviously this is about a gay couple. I appreciate that she's writing about a gay couple in a positive way. I feel like it's pretty mm-hmm. forward thinking for the 1970s yeah. that she's depicting yeah. these people as loving people who are, who are just they're in love like anybody else. Why why is it any different except that oh, it's two dudes instead of a man and a woman. And she's not well, it's very different because like everyone's pretending they're dead essentially. And like she's not condemning them like as we've talked about like she wants to be no. with them she wants she wants yeah. to know that the secret to how they're happy they are like at night they're yeah. seen laughing loving they know the way to be happy yeah it's just that that happiness comes at such a high cost i know and it's 
it can be still that way these days. Like if there are some, some families are okay with their, with their son's son or daughter being gay. And then others like, Oh, you, I'm, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You're not my son. You're not my kid anymore. Even still now in 2017, we're, you know, in the United States, gay marriage is legal. For now, yeah. <laughs> yeah for now, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it's also, it's not the first time that she's even written about gays. I mean, wow, has a line about he's too busy hitting the Vaseline. Yeah, and she had that quote where she says, oh, there's, there's a lot of homosexuals in the music industry. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just noticing it. <laughs> or her Kathy Demme song, yeah. Queen Eddie. That she wrote when she was a teenager. I mean, yeah, it, it definitely that song kind of uses stereotypes. <laughs> oh yeah, if you go, it's called if you look up on YouTube either Queen Eddie or The Gay Farewell. It goes by their name. It's, mm-hmm. I like it as a song, but it's very much a sheltered teenage girl who has not met any gay people and mostly knows stereotypes about gay people, writing out gay men. So the lyrics go: Eddie was so pretty to be a queen weeping. You're just a little princess. Like I, she, it's about Eddie's like lovers leaving. I've never seen such a sad queen as Eddie. I've seen him raving, maybe. By this point, she's been in the entertainment. Even though Costner from Bad Dads was written earlier, I think, like, with this and Wow, you see, like, okay, I actually know some gay people now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, yeah, we've kind of talked about the, the instrumental to Porga. And, yeah, Patty plays a lot of interesting instruments on her songs. And even now, he's still, mm-hmm. he's, like, some, ex- he's, like, a world music expert. And, like, when you, you Google him, he's, like, shown playing, like, really obscure instruments most of the on most of her albums it's, she doesn't use this is something we've talked on other episodes but she does not use backing singers she only ever uses herself as a backing mm-hmm. singer which is fascinating and what's also fascinating is that the backing vocals will often be doing something very different from the lead vocals mostly on the kick and side but on Lionheart too i think the most interesting example of this was on the song more look something like you from the kick and side but if there are ever male vocals like a deeper voice, it's usually Patty. Mm-hmm. Not on Get Out of My House from I'm Dreaming. That was done by like the guy who was helping engineer the album. Yep. But it's interesting, it's, you know, it's all in the family. So if you ever hear like a dude's lower voice, like, and pull out the pin, for example, you'll hear oh, yeah. like, mm-hmm. it's, usually, it's usually Patty. And so he's he's definitely on this song when he's he's doing the, achi, achi, it sounds like Acha every yeah. night. Don't you know their scene? That's her. I, th- I think that's her. Or during the chorus, I think there's a little bit of him yeah. mixed in. Maybe, but I think she it's her in her low range. That's how I have always heard it. It's interesting, like, even yeah. as like a young g- girl, that she still had like a 
because she's clearly a soprano like she's a soprano one i can't like i'm mezzo Mm -hmm. i'm soprano too i can't hear the high notes but it's it's amazing that even younger that she had that she was had like a pretty comfortable low extension where she was able to sing some of these low notes that like even i have a little trouble hitting if i eat a ton of even if i eat a ton of chocolate to lower my voice (laughs) (laughs) well it's interesting because she actually has said numerous times that her for early work was an attempt to experiment more with singing high. And like, for example, actually just before we talked, I was listening to the Phoenix demo version of Kashka from Baghdad and her voice sounds much lower on it. And then there's another demo version where her voice is higher. So it's interesting. Like, I think she is actually maybe more naturally of a mid range, but is actually pushing herself to go higher on um, Mothering Heights, she said she wanted to sound extra high to evoke the, being a ghost. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because that she, she re- I mean, I think it's been said she's about a four octave range. Um, mm-hmm. That, yeah, even early on, she's able to do something like, for example, like in the background, you have the Let Me In Your Love in a much deeper tone and on some of her when you listen to some of her um demos there are they'll be much deeper um so she really just likes to like go all over the place and is able Mm -hmm. to and has the vote that's why it's a really big pet peeve of mine when people say like brett anderson said this on the bbc documentary the kate bush story brett anderson is from the band suede um he said oh her early work is very much her trying to find her voice she hadn't really found her voice yet and didn't Mm -hmm. feel she'll have love and that's just really that's such just typical straight male criticism <laughs> condescending about her um because it's like no she has multiple voices and you just can't handle that yeah well because she doesn't sing like your usual pop kind of person not that it's, i'm not saying that she's pop because she's because she, she's not but i feel like from what i've seen she was marketed to be kind of mainstream Oh, Even yeah, though, she was on Top of the Pop, which is like TRL. Yeah, so. like, yeah, she was on the TRL at the time. And, and yet, she had, num- I mean, she had number one album, number one single. Mm-hmm. And yet she she doesn't sing in a pop way. Like we've like we've talked about with her, her her roots are very deep and Celtic. And it, mm-hmm. she doesn't, she's very English in everything she does. And mm-hmm. yeah. Well, except for this song where she, you know, does a little bit of the Orientalism in in her lyrics. Yeah, which goes further in in Egypt on her next album, Never Forever. Oh, yeah, but then Egypt. Uh, but the, yeah, but then what's interesting because yeah, Egypt is her most Ori- is very Orientalist. But then what's interesting is that on the Dreaming, she actually takes quite a critical ends up taking a surprisingly critical stance towards British imperialism. But that will be for another day. Indeed. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but with the cast from Baghdad demo, as we mentioned earlier, what's really interesting is that um, it's even more explicit about her desire mm-hmm. or his, whoever the narrator is, saying like, what would they do if I was seen what, what, watching them? What would mm-hmm. they do if I knew my feelings? There's this fear of being caught because there's this knowledge that to be queer is to be ostracized. Yeah. But there's also that desire. And she's the, the narrator is negotiating between that desire and that fear. And it's really interesting. And I wonder what, we will never know, but I wonder why she changed it mm-hmm. um, to official. And also another change, um, I think I think it's interesting that she changed from the demo. In the demo she says, no one knows that there's life inside at all, except for the lady who cleans the house, except for the man who takes the garbage out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the demo version lyrics right here. from Baghdad lives in sin they say with another man but no one knows who dark lights at night no one thinks there's life inside at all 
it was hard to sing it's not really you're not having like weird consonants or something up against each other making it hard to sing so yeah i don't know why she changed it that's really interesting that she did it is especially when it's something that makes the song so much queerer Mm-hmm. unless she just decided nah i feel and like boy- being a little more ambiguous or something like that yeah she's like she's like i'm all right she's like i guess i can guess that i'm a voyeur i don't need to make it like that clear yeah <laughs> Could be. Yeah, and then she performed this on Tour of Life. So I, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell, like there's that performance that I agree with you. It's it's wonderful it's wonderful to hear just the the raw talent. And actually that Even was the Tour of Life one isn't as good. I don't, I don't know. Well that the Tour other of Life good. one like the, from the footage I can I've seen of it, the the stage is dark and the mm-hmm. the band is chanting like they're uh, they're shuffling along on some sort of chain gang, and Talk then it kind of like othering, yeah. And they kind of builds up momentum, wah, wah, woo, mm-hmm. wah, 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 and then it just suddenly stops, and then it goes into like the, it sounds like, um, like uh, wind chimes or something, and then she goes in the dun 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 goes yeah. What yeah, what I find interesting about the tour of light version, it starts with this whole like hmm. Like a chanting, which is very again like stereotypical. Yeah, yeah, it's like a very stereotyped thing. Like it almost reminds you of, like certain things with like the Susie and the Banshee song, Arabian mm. Nights. I don't know. Um, yeah, I find it interesting that they further exoticize it. Yeah, and it's like what like we talked about. Like it's it's a very Western thing to 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 be kind of obsessed with the east because they offer things that are different from here and yet and we might be so we might be exo- we might be obsessed with them but they're not necessarily obsessed with us <laughs> they're just like eh whatever at least that's the impression i get well it's like a colonial well, it's a colonial thing especially with india i mean she doesn't t- refer to india in any of her songs but mm-hmm. around the time she was growing up i i know it's because my mom is pretty much her age and my mom is like so I, I get a lot of this from my mom, but like India was it in the cop culture. Like, and what was India? British colony, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very much like this. Oh, we colonized this place. Now let's like make something fun out of it. Yeah. But she doesn't do that. Besides the Bindi in 2014 before the Dom, which I'm still just like, there were so <laughs> many people involved in this production and not one person said like kate that is not a good idea to wear that but oh well oh well yeah oh so live performances Live performances. Oh, this, my, oh goodness. my gosh. This is my moment. <laughs> so, this is my favorite. Like, so, I'm a Kate Bush historian, scholar, obsessive, everything. <laughs> I have watched every performance, every interview, everything that, ex- everything that exists of Kate Bush on the internet that can't exist, I have encountered. Like, people will send me, like, have you seen this? And I'm like, yeah. Like, like yeah, I've I was already just watching watched that it. Last 10, week, man. But, but so, Pat, so to say that something is my favorite live performance of hers of all time, I'm saying a lot, this is my favorite live performance of hers of all time. Um, so on 1978, it's late in the year, um, she appears on Ask Apple, which was a children's show. Mm-hmm. So she's a pro- actually, from 1978 through 1982, she's appeared in a surprising amount of children's shows, actually. Um, yeah. If you watch a lot of reports, which is funny, it's almost like, 
what she's doing is more accessible. It's like, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. But anyways, originally she was supposed to play, she was supposed to play in the warm room, another song <laughs> from this album, <laughs> but decided that it was too sexual to play. So instead <laughs> she decides to play a song on a children's show about uh, a gay couple and watching them through a window and probably wanting to join them. Yeah. So that's not, but so that in itself is amazing. And, but the reason it's my favorite, favorite live performance of hers is well, because of that, it's just, I'm just like, you, you bad, bad girl, you go for it. <laughs> but also just like, if you, I really encourage you to Google um, Kashka from Baghdad 1978 mm-hmm. live. It's just a beautiful performance. Her vocals, especially on the happy part, it's to die for. It's just like when it's her, it's just her and her piano. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you can play a clip from it. Um, I will. On I'm there. actually going to And it's just, here. yeah, it's, it is breathtakingly beautiful to just hear that pure raw talent. We, we shall hear this one called Kashka from Baghdad. as always are great when oh, yeah. she, she just widens her eyes at the camera she is always aware always aware of the camera and every performance um Indeed. it's so interesting um as i said i think in the episode wow she would have made a phenomenal silent film actress mm-hmm. um she is just the way that she's like well it's interesting there's just one performance of them heavy people from 1978, where she's straight up seducing the camera with her eyes. Um, it's on Saturday, on a show called Saturday Night at the Mill. Oh, it's straight yeah. up seduction in the way she's looking at the camera. She's always, she's, it's one of her first performances and she's still aware. But this one, it's not seduction of the camera, but it's more just like she always says that she doesn't believe in performing unless she's giving 110%. Mm-hmm. And to her, 110% means looking completely ridiculous. And that is what I love about her. <laughs> Um, and, that includes, and that continues into today. I mean, she did not perform live for 35 years and also until 2014 mm-hmm. because she was like, I can only perform live if it's going to be like the biggest, wildest thing ever. And she put on this giant theatrical show where she literally falls over the audience and is like crazy theatrical stuff going on. Yeah. So, so I love this performance so much because of the audacity of her being like, in the war room is too sexual. So I'm mm-hmm. going to perform this song about wanting to have a threesome with these two gay guys instead. And then also like on a children's show and just the, t- the pure talent, just mm-hmm. like I'm just seeing her at her piano. One of my other favorite live performances of hers is feel it um, live at the Hammersmith Odeon for the mm-hmm. same reason. Um, we don't, it just, after this, we don't see a lot of her just performing live after the oh, yeah. tour of life. She basically stopped, most of her performances are lip synced because she has very elaborate dance routines. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very rare to find performances of her singing live. And this one is just exceptional. Like a lot of her tour of life live performances, I find the vocals are kind of diminished. 
maybe because she's doing so much at the same time. Mm-hmm. But just but this performance is so astonishing. Yeah, because yeah, it I, is. I, I it, talk a, I can't it forever. Because it, it goes back to when this song was written, when it was she was just introverted girl sitting at home playing piano, making up stories. Except mm-hmm. that this is a better recorded version. <laughs> Instead of, oh, yeah. teeny weeny handheld tape recorder from the 70s sitting here on the piano bench and we hope it sounds okay. <laughs> so yeah, the, the tour of life I'm- version is kind of, honestly, it's pretty simple. Like she's just yeah. at the piano and singing. She's still dressed in the clothes from Hammer Horror, and yeah. but it's not as good as like it's really simple. But her vocals just don't sound as strong as they do on the Act Astle. And I yeah yeah like it's I like agree. if you compare that to the Tour of Life version of Feel It, like her vocals mm-hmm. are much. It, I, I find her vocals in the Tour of Life recorded footage to be kind of iffy, depending on the song. And a part of it is that she was sick for a lot of the Tour of Life. But yeah, I, and it's interesting because Anthony, who used to be known as Anthony from Anthony and the Johnsons, uh-huh. um, actually, there's like a video of him on, or of her, sorry, she, she transitioned recently, of her on YouTube, um, talking about the Ask Asshole performance and how much it inspired Anthony, like who was living, I think, in Holland at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and also, like, she was, she was doing a lot of rigorous dancing. During the tour yeah. of life. So I think the combination of her being sick also because she was a smoker that might have affected her oh, voice and yeah. certainly would have affected her breathing. Considering that she did a phenomenal job. Yeah, yeah indeed she did. <laughs> there, I mean, their tour of life performances I think are amazing. I don't think this is one of the amazing performances, but there are some of them that really take my breath away, like Feel It, James mm-hmm. and the Cold Gun. Um, oh yeah, kick inside one is really good. I do find it interesting though that the footage for this performance, for the tour of life performance of Kashka, was not officially released on the Hammersmith tape. Like, no, I didn't yeah. even see it until a few years ago when somebody just randomly posted it to YouTube, and I yeah. went and saw it. I'm just like, I actually like physically went. Okay, I found like somebody had put to get put together. The entire tour of life, including this other mm-hmm. footage, I'm gonna sit down and watch it. And like I like I I like literally like turned off all the lights. Went okay, I'm gonna watch this. <laughs> no, same. It was like that happened like a year ago, I think. It was or two years. I I feel like I remember exactly when I noticed it. I was like at the gym. I watched music videos and performances at the gym on the elliptical a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think I was like looking it up at the gym. And I was like, oh wait, what? What is all this new stuff? So it must. <laughs> I remember being. That was when I was living in. So that would have been like 2015. Um, yeah. So because basically there was what was released from the tour of life was a v- an hour long VHS, mm-hmm. which you can find on YouTube. Um, but they, but the show itself was like, including intermission, like three. Yeah, it was like all the songs their first and second albums, save for one or two. So um, and, and some songs from her third album that she hadn't yet released. Um, so it's interesting. I wonder why they chose certain songs to put in the mm-hmm. official release and certain ones out. I can see why they didn't include this one um, because it's not especially, it, it's fine. It's not especially strong, Yeah. but in terms of the performance, not the song itself, but I'm glad that it is all on YouTube. Cause like, for example, and the version of the kick inside wasn't available. And I really mm-hmm. love that version live because at the end they, someone comes from behind her and shrouds her in black to signify the character's death. And I find that very beautiful. Yeah, and also and like, the coffee home ground one. Oh, yeah. I love that routine. Like, oh, maybe some yeah, of like, it I had to do it, with yeah. like, maybe the reason some of it wasn't released was because the, it didn't come out as well. Because I know, like, let's face it, like, nowadays, if you took our technology now, and took it to back then and filmed it, it probably would have come out fine. Maybe a little bit yeah. grainy in parts, but whatever. It would be good. But back then, the, the technology for for recording these complex things just, I don't think, was quite there yet. Absolutely. And they are there now. And she did film Three Nights of Before the Dawn and still <sighs> refuses to release it. And I'm just going to get that in there now because I will never not be pissed at her about it. I was really happy like a couple of years ago when somebody released, it was from Manchester, they released a soundboard recording of 
this song and all the other songs, and including like the poetry readings in between yeah. each songs. Like you got to hear her brother, how she had helped her, incorporated her brother into the the performance, and and I got to hear uh, this yeah. song too. Like I I had never heard I mean, this live other uh, than the Ask Aspel version from September fifth, nineteen seventy eight. And yeah, and what makes the tour of life so groundbreaking that people don't recognize or realize is that like it was a full theatrical experience mm-hmm. and to the extent Elton John was quoted as saying that it set the bar for all future shows um which is true um I mean it Indeed. really the modern pop tour of a female artist singing into a headset microphone while dancing she was the first person to do that no one else is doing that mm-hmm. and that's huge and so it really was extremely groundbreaking and it's cool to be able to see all the weird stuff that was incorporated just as happy to hear her just come out and do just play and sing piano like she did on Ask Aspel for this song. Absolutely. No, I would love it. Like, as I said, my dream is for her, her next project would be for her to just do, um, to re-record her demos. But now as an adult, like, I mean, especially there are certain ones that are so deeply mature that to mm-hmm. have them sung by an adult would be really beautiful. Especially, you know, my pet favorite is Frightened Eyes. I think especially makes sense as a, from the point of view of a, of a famous person. Um, that to hear her sing that, just her on the piano, would be just you know, in this style of Among Angels would mm-hmm. be really wonderful. And even in Casting from Baghdad, I like that it is a song that's like her on the piano, but there is other stuff going on. There yeah. is like other ornamentation. Oh, definitely. I mean, honestly, like there, there's listening to the song, like there's, there's, I mean, yeah, there's her piano and her vocals, but there's got like this lush arrangement under her. That's just, yeah. I almost wish in a way that she would release instrumentals of her songs simply so you could, you can hear all the other complexity going on behind her and, I think it because I, mean, I love sometimes just listening to instrumentals and I think for for something like this that it would be really cool to hear everything without her voice and I can hear all the other uh, lush arrangement going on underneath her yeah that's a good yeah that would be interesting And her piano work, too. Like, I don't... She plays some pretty complex stuff um, mm-hmm. in in this album and on this song. 
mm-hmm. especially in Full House. Like that that opening riff. Like I actually have some sheet music for Lionheart and most of her songs up until um, up through the sensual world and. Looking at the piano parts for her songs, it's like, oh, okay, I've been playing piano for six years, and I would have trouble with this. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting you say that, because I've heard a lot of people say that she's actually not that good of a piano player, and in the whole, like, forced, uh, whole forced Kate Bush t- versus Tori Amos war, people always say Tori is a much better pianist, which I'm like, sure, that's fair, you know. I mean, classical pianist, she isn't, but, you know. No, she taught her, she basically, like, just had her dad kind of help her out. Yeah, and I like that she taught herself. Like, she wasn't Mm -hmm. taking years and years of musical theory for, well, and when you're composing this kind of song, you must use the, you you must use the first, fourth, and fifth chord. Like, she didn't do any of that. She was just like, oh, my dad showed me how to do the C chord, and, woo, I go off and have fun with it. Mm-hmm. But her her piano playing though is very fluid, and especially on this song, like I can well, hear that. Thing, considering the fluidity of her as her writing. Mm-hmm. And actually, we were, we were talking a lot about like the fluidity of gender on this album. Her piano playing is just as fluid on the other songs. Like I, I especially love the piano when in um uh in search of Peter Pan. Like there's that ba ba yeah. ba 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 ba, which and then is the other. one of her most gender fluid songs mm-hmm. too. And yeah, after she sings, it's been in between, it's been da 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 da, such a long week, da 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 da, so much crying, da 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 da. Like she's yeah. got this pretty like flowy piano thing, like in between some of the lines. That I think is really interesting. Wow, yeah, that's cool. That's the kind of stuff I missed out on. Not being a literary <laughs> person, not a music person. Yeah, it's all good. I I've always been like attuned to like music stuff like i'd be out at home depot with my parents i go oh such and such song is playing and my parents are going okay you're the one with 40 percent hearing in your left ear how can you hear this above all the noise i go well i can hear the song so there you go <laughs> I think we've hit up everything for for the song. I'm kind of looking over. Me our too. Notes. Yeah. So thank you so about... much for having me again. Yes, definitely. But thank you so much for being on the show. It was great to talk about this song with you, as always. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, and I look forward to hearing the rest of everything that you do for Lionheart, this underrated gem. And well, I'm definitely happy to contribute to future episodes in the future, especially. Anything involving the second half of Never Forever, which is like mm-hmm. everything to me. <laughs> if you have a favorite Kate Bush song or a couple of songs you would love to talk about on a future episode, or you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to in our discussion, please feel free to email me, kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an E. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash katebushpodcast. And you can follow my tweets, twitter.com slash strangekatecast. See everybody next week for some coffee home ground. I mean, my dream is that I love her demos. Um, mm-hmm. There are some of her demos that I think are much superior songs to so- certain songs on Lionheart and The Kick Inside. Mm-hmm. My dream is for Kate Bush now in 2017 or 2018, whenever this episode will be released, um, to re-record her demos now, just her at the piano. Because her last song and her last album... 50 Words for Snow, Among Angels, is my favorite song of hers post-2000. And it's just Mm. her and the piano, and it's stunning. And I would love to see her reimagine her demos. But um, she has said in a very hilarious interview from 1994, a radio interview, someone asks, 
oh, do you ever have any plans to lease your demos? We really love them. And she says, no, that's it. Just no. Yeah. Like she really is. And she doesn't like the demos at all. She is very negative. She hates pretty much everything she does. It's very interesting. Like even like my, uh, she, she really doesn't like to listen to her work at all. Um, but yeah. Anyways, that's a plug for the demos. Go look up Kate. <laughs> Let's go, go, go up online. Look up. Um, it's very cleverly called Kate Bush shrubberies mm-hmm. and you can pretty much find like all her demos there and they're great. It's NFL draft season. And that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 